glad that you are here. I'm glad that those who are joining online are here. Thank you for joining us online, whether it is Facebook Live or YouTube or the Apple Podcast or SoundCloud. We are certainly glad you're here with us this morning. So today, we continue our uh, unpopular, popular <laughs> truth series uh, with our third installment, if you will, of this effort. Now, the past two weeks, we've looked at the topic or the doctrine of, of heaven and hell. And we've studied what the Bible says about heaven and what the Bible says about hell. We've concluded that they are both real, that they are both eternal places, and every person that's ever existed will spend eternity in one or the other. Now this morning, as if last week wasn't controversial enough, we seek to uh, understand uh, with the Lord's leading this morning uh, from a biblical perspective, um, possibly the most uncomfortable topic to preach on and possibly the most uncomfortable topic to listen to in one's preaching on, and that is money. Money. Our money is something that we often hold as a private matter. We don't like to talk about it or discuss it for whatever reason. And so today I want us to let our hair down, so to speak. And, and when it comes to this topic, and uh, in particular, how we spend our money when it, when it comes to the offering and giving to the local church, to the local ministry. What does the Bible really teach about the tithe? How are we to honor God with our finances as it relates to our giving and our offering? I hope to answer those questions and more as we seek to understand the saith the Lord in the time that the Lord has provided for us today. May the Lord have his way with our hearts as we study his word. Let's read the text here in 2 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 6 and concluding in verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 8. It says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and the power of it and the great privilege and honor it is to come to approach your word this morning to better understand it, that we may be equipped to be more disciplined disciples of your truth. But Father, we do want to pause. Uh, Father, there's one among us who is suffering this morning as we meet, who is unable to be here. Lord, we lift Pam to you. And Father, we pray that you will, in this midst of trial, not knowing what's going on, oh God, I pray that you'd be with the doctors, you'd be with the nurses, that you would grant a peace and comfort to her. Lord, we acknowledge that you are the great physician. Father, as best we know, she knows you 
and she lives for you and she rests in you. So, Lord, I pray that you would just um, be with the situation and give all of us a um, burdensome heart to, to continue to um, support her in any way that she may need, that she would know that she is loved not only by this church but by brothers and sisters in the faith. Lord, as we approach your word this morning, as we seek to understand your truth, Lord, would you give us all open minds, tactful hearts, focused hearts? Father, with this distracted mind and this burdened heart, I, I need your help. I need your supernatural intervention in this moment, in this hour. Would you give me the focus to do your word well? Lord, I can't do it. I can't do it on my own. I need your Holy Spirit. So would you use this crooked stick to draw a straight line? And Lord, may you get glory. For everything you do in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Without question, that money um, is obviously can be such a hot topic to talk about. In our day-to-day -day lives, in the, in the life of the church, uh, in, in, in finance meetings and the like. Um, you know, because for many reasons, one of the reasons is because it's... Um, what we use to survive. It's what we use to, to, to buy and, and, and sell, to, to, to produce and, and also provide. It, it drives our world currency, money. And even the love of money has influenced many to be careless and, and callous and the desire to have more and more um, by some and in the corporate and in and, and the secular uh, institutions of this fallen world in which we find ourselves in is certainly reflected and has in, had influence on all of us in some way, shape, or form. You know, the reality is this. Ministries need money to function. Churches need money to function. Missions need money to prosper and, and provide in this world we find ourselves in. Though we are not of the world, we are in the world, and the currency system that we do honor and engage with does affect us as a church, does affect us as a local body, as a local ministry. So how are we to properly steward our money? In this area of our lives to honor God maximally. After all, money is not an evil thing. God has provided us money and whatnot, but He also gives us practical instruction as to how we are to steward it for His glory and for our joy, particularly in the local church. So what does the Bible say about our tithe, our giving, our offering? And how are we to steward it appropriately to honor the text in the name of the Lord? Well, if you're one of the lucky ones that got here early, you got a listing guide. And I think it's interesting that the, uh, the, the, the Sunday that we preach on money, all the listing guides are taken up. <laughs> we always have some left over, but not this morning. So I will print some of those off uh, to be provided for next week for those of you that did not grab one. So you may want to write what you need down on the back of your bulletin if you didn't or if you weren't one of the lucky ones to get a listening guide this morning. But what does the Bible say about tithing? Well, we're going to look at three things today, three headings. One is the tithing in the Old Testament. Two is the tithing in the New Testament. 
And then I'm going to look at tithing in present day. Tithing in present day. Thus saith the Lord. First of all, tithing in the Old Testament. Tithing in the Old Testament. Tithing has been around for a long time. The word tithe, the practice of tithe, has been around for centuries. In the Old Testament, there were two kinds, basic, of tithing throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. There was a giving to the government and a giving to God. A giving to the government and a giving to God. Now, here's the ticker, the kicker, if you will. The two have, in many ways, been mistreated throughout the years. And there are, there are many who have simply got confused over Old Testament tithing and how it relates to the modern-day act of giving. In the Old Testament, for example, the tithe, as it is called, went primarily to fund a nat national budget. Israel lived under a theocracy. We live under a democracy. No, God was their king. God was their leader. It was a theocratic government. Therefore, the tithe went to help with government expenses. The priests served in the government, for example, for example the Levitical priests. Um, in other words, the Levitical tithe given would be, uh, the Old Testament commands would be in comparison to uh, the income tax, if you will, of today that we all just love to pay, don't we? It's in Leviticus chapter 27 that we find that and the instructions of that. Now, in the interest of time, we're not going to read that passage. It is quite lengthy, but it is commanded there that there be a tax given to help with the theocratic running of the government, in particular as it relates to the Levitical priesthood. There's another tax or a tithe that's been commanded to give that uh, funded a national festival. We find that in Deuteronomy chapter 14. Where there was a tithe that it was to be given to help with a national festival that was a very big deal in Old Testament times. And as you study the act of the tithe and the doctrinal understanding of the tithe in the Old Testament, you also see that there were smaller tithes that were commanded by law, uh, given to help fund the government. In Leviticus chapter 19, for example, you find that in verses 9 and 10. And also in Exodus chapter 23, there is uh, another tithe there to help with the government. Now here's another thing about the truth of Old Testament tithing. This money was not limited to 10%. It wasn't a limitation to a 10% of a tithe. No, it was um, more like a 20 to 30% support to this theocratic government that led the Israelites at the time. Now outside of this, all this was extra giving. Now it's interesting that this 20 uh, the 30 um, per percent was, was res restricted and reserved to fund the government, but yet there was still understanding that all that was given outside the 20 to 30 percent to help with the government was to go to other things, like the Lord. It was totally voluntary. It was totally based on the will of the people. It was to be given out from the heart. We see that command in Exodus chapter 25 verse 2. It says this. The Bible puts it this way. Tell the sons of Israel to take a contribution for me. From everyone whose heart moves you shall take my contribution. 
In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 9, speaks of this giving from the heart outside of the commanded tithe to support this theocratic government. In 1 Chronicles 29, it says, Then the people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly, for they made their offering to the Lord wholeheartedly and in confidence, or excuse me, in context, King David also rejoiced greatly. So there was a theocratic tithe that was to be given to support a theocratic government that averaged around 20 to 30 percent. And then there was a bountiful tithe given out of the hearts of the people in an act of worship, in adoration, in awe of the Lord. Sprung from the inside. The government got their share. And God got his. That's how tithing worked in the Old Testament. Now let's fast forward to the New, the New Testament, which is heading number two, tithing in the New Testament. Tithing in the New Testament. Now here's a shocking reality to some. When you study the New Testament and you're looking for this word tithe, you're going to notice that it's pretty non-existent. It's pretty not there. There are some passages of Scripture that teach us to give and teach us to support, but the word tithe there sort of fizzles out as we study and read the text in the New Testament through the Gospels and the Epistles. There's two main passages of Scripture that speak of giving, and we're going to read both of those this morning. In Matthew chapter 22, for example, in the Gospel of Matthew, beginning in verse 15 and concluding in verse 22, Matthew chapter 22, 15 through 22, it says this, it says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him into what he said, him being Jesus. Pharisees were always trying to catch our Lord on an off day, but he was the God-man and he doesn't have an off day. He knew their hearts. And he knew their intentions and he knew their, their motivations before even they knew them. And so our text says they were trying to catch him off guard in verse 16. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth. And do not care what anyone thinks for you are not partial to anyone. But tell us then, what do you think? Is it permissible to pay the poll tax to Caesar or not? Verse 18, Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And then brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Then pay Caesar's the things that are Caesar's. And to God the things which are God's. And hearing this, they were amazed. And they left him and went away. Another prominent passage of the New Testament that speaks of our tithe and our gift and our offering is found in Romans chapter 13. And in Romans chapter 13, the first seven verses relate to our relation to the government. But it also references in verse 6 how we are to pay a tithe. And it says in uh, verse 6, it says, 
For because of this you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing, paying to all what is due to them, tax whom taxes due, custom whom custom, respect to whom respect, honor to whom honor. So these are the two primary texts in the New Testament that speak of some sort of tithe that we are to give to the government, to those who rule over us. And they're both dominated contextually by paying taxes to these guys. And it's, ironically, it's 20 to 30 percent for most people. And ironically, it's about the same tax rate that you and I pay today as it was paid in the Old Testament. And yes, also the new. But the teaching that many have adjusted to and the many base their giving on this 10 percent rule is simply not commanded or non-existent in the New Testament scriptures for the modern day church. It's something that's been misconstrued and misrepresented. The Old Testament commands Israel to tithe. The New Testament commands the believers pay their taxes. But then we're left to wonder, well, what are we to do with what's left over? What are we to do with the, the gifts and the bountiful gifts that God has blessed us with through currency, through money, through gifts? How are we to steward it well? Offerings and gifts today, though the tithe is not commanded for the New Testament church to honor per se, gifts and offerings are. Thus our mother text in 2 Corinthians 9. There's a command here that we would be good to spend the rest of our time on this morning. And I want us to dig deep in this in an act of providing us a clear understanding of how we are to look at our giving and offering today. And that we would take note of our own giving and offering as the Bible commands us to give. This brings us to our third heading, tithing in the present day. Tithing in the present day. And our, our, this text speaks of that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Let's take those first two verses one more time together to properly understand it. It says in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church here. Defending giving. Defending offering. He writes the first letter to the Corinthians and he gives them instruction. Unfortunately, there were those in the Corinthian church who were on their high horse and then began to criticize and gossip and, and be very critical of Paul. Therefore, Paul writes this second letter in defense of himself and of the ministry. And he writes here to encourage, this is how we are to give. Verse 7 says, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion in their giving to the local body, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we all in this room make a currency. We all make money. We all have a check that comes in every week, bi-weekly, monthly, whatever. And it matters to God how you spend that check. 
And it matters to God how you spend that money. It matters to God how you spend those gifts that he's been given to you. Sure, he provides for us through currency, but what is left over matters as much to him as what is not. The Bible tells us here that we are to give bountifully. That we are to give cheerfully, meaning to give with a heart in worship to the king. Not limited by a number, but above and beyond that number in an act of worship to our Lord. Not grudgingly or with reservation. Not under compulsion or bribery. But we are to give willingly. We are to give without reservation. We are to give without second thought. We are to give without worry. We are to not limit our giving to a 10%. But beyond it. We're not to limit uh, uh, this number by, uh, by some secular influence, but we are to give and give bountifully in worship from the heart. In worship for and love for Christ, motivated by a love for the church, motivated by a love for his work, understanding that all good things come from above. And we give in, in knowing all that is his and in our giving, in our bountiful giving, we're acknowledging that money is not our God, but God is our God. And our first fruits and all that we are and all that we are given are to be given back to him. When we think of our giving, when we think of our offering. It should always be one, not of legalistic influence, but out of a motivated heart of worship. Everything that is done in this worship service is worship. From the fellowship of the saints, the koinonia, from a Wednesday night meal or meeting in here for prayer, from a handshake or a hug, to the proclamation of truth or singing songs. And yes, and even giving our gifts and offerings to the king. Motivated not by legalism, but by a love for who he is and what he has done. So, what are some practical motivations that we would be good to note in our tithing in present day, if we will use that word? <laughs> Here are a few that I would hope to serve as motivators for you and me. That as we seek to worship the king in our giving, with our pocketbooks, with our checkbooks, with our, our money, that we would be good to remember these things and allow these truths that I'm going to provide, there's five of them, to motivate your giving today and in the future. Number one. And if you have a listing guide, I have them on there. You just fill in the blank. If not, write these down. Number one, when we give, when we give bountifully, when we give without compulsion, when we give cheerfully, when we give without reservation, when we give out of a heart of worship to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, number one, we honor the Old Testament. We honor the Old Testament. 
Though we are not commanded to, and we do not live in a theocratic society, in a theocratic government, no, we honor the Old Testament and principles that were laid out in the Old Testament as to how things were to be. Tithing in the Old Testament, um, this, this principle here, when we tithe, honors an Old Testament principle how God provided for the ministers he called and the expenses of the ministry of the church. In Numbers, in the Old Testament, for example, in Numbers chapter 18, Numbers chapter 18, verses 20 and 21, it says, You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor, any, nor own any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the sons of Israel. And to the sons of Levi, behold, I have given all the tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service, which they perform the service of the tent of meeting. And we give today in honor of this. Pastors, missionaries, ministerial assistants, associate pastors, musicians, etc., etc. Those who serve the Lord through the local body, those in Christian ministry, rely on their living in a very peculiar way apart from the world. And they are to get their living from and through the local church. In the New Testament, Paul carries this principle over. He reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, Paul says, Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from it. Paul reminds the believers in Corinth in those days uh, that those believers or those, those who are serving them in Christian service through the local church are to be supported by local Christians, by the local body. So when we give, we give to the glory of God in worship, we give in honoring the Old Testament principle of providing for those who serve us through the local body, but also providing for the local body itself and the expenses of that ministry. That is number one, honoring the Old Testament principle. Number two, another uh, encouragement and motivator in giving is when we give, not only do we honor Old Testament principle, but number two, we honor God. We honor God. That's your second fill in the blank there. We honor God. When we give, not limited, but above and beyond, we're giving to God back what he has given to us. And we do it out of worship. We do it out of adoration and love for our treasure, for our Savior, for our Lord, for the creator of everything. We honor his name in this. Offerings and, and gifts are not this legalistic practice, but no, it's an act of worship of his name. We acknowledge that we believe verses like Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, when we give and we give bountifully. Psalm chapter 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. We acknowledge all is his. We acknowledge all good things is his. And the excess that we do not need, we give back to honor his name. And to glorify our treasure in heaven. Another motivator. 
One, we honor the Old Testament when we give and give bountifully. Number two, we honor God when we give and we give bountifully. But number three, we promote good deeds. We promote good deeds. I want you to notice our mother text this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. It says in verse 6, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will, sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, and here's the last part we want to take note of here, you may have abundance for every good deed. For every good deed. Here's the key statement here. When we sow bountifully, when we sow cheerfully, the Bible says here, we'll have an abundance. But we'll have an abundance not to spend on ourselves. We'll have an abundance not to waste on ourselves. We'll have an abundance not to invest in ourselves. No, we'll have an abundance for what purpose? Verse 8 says, for good deeds. You'll have an abundance to continue to give. You'll have an abundance to continue to support. You'll have an abundance to continue to acknowledge. You'll have an abundance to continue to promote these good deeds. Now let's back up and look at this from a universal standpoint. The goal of our life, the goal of your life and my life, is to glorify our supreme treasure. We know this. Every single Sunday at Neil Road, we acknowledge this, that we were created for the glory of Him. To live for Him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us that all that we do, we do for the glory of God. We're also taught in the text. That we are saved. That we are to live our lives in such a way in order to accomplish good deeds. To put on display good deeds. To support good deeds. That people may see those good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. That is the purpose of why we are here. That's the purpose of our money, for the glory of God. And one of the ways in which God gets glory is when we give bountifully, and we give cheerfully, we give abundantly, we give out of the heart of worship, the church is financed, the church can function as it ought, and we are able to do more because we have more for the glory of His name. And people will see the good deeds coming from this place and beyond and glorify our Father in heaven. Bountiful giving promotes the good deed of the church. Sparingly, giving sparingly handicaps it. Giving bountifully supports missions and, and missionaries. That the gospel will be proclaimed outside of Rowan County to all the ends of the world, which our church does promote, international, global, and local missions. 
But the church cannot function with the good deeds as it ought if giving is spare and limited. John Piper said this, quote, Excess money is given to us so that we can show where our treasure is by simply giving it away for the purpose of good deeds. For the purpose of God glorifying deeds. The people would see what we can do and fall in love with the maker of matter as we are. May our giving be motivated by this promoting of good deeds. Number four, when we give bountifully, we honor the Old Testament. We honor the name of God. We promote good deeds from this place outwardly. But number four, when we give bountifully, we embrace godly provision. We embrace godly provision. Godly provision. When we give this way, sacrificially, um, generally, we show ourselves, we show the world, and we show Satan that when we give, though things are tight, and though the world, it seems like things are getting more expensive every single day, but we seek to give graciously and above and beyond the 10% rule that many of us have adopted, and we give bountifully in worship to our king. We show with our actions, even the enemy himself, that we trust in the providence and the provision of God that our needs are or will be met according to his word. Regardless of my, if my gift is above and beyond or not. We say, God, we trust you. We honor you. I'm going to give now, understanding and knowing that you're going to provide for my every need. Because you've promised, and you're good on your promises. You've never let me down. I'm going to give, and I'm going to give sacrificially for the glory of your name out of worship to the king. Look at verse 6 of our mother text. It says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap Bountifully. Look at verse 8. In relation to verse 6. You sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. You sow bountifully, you're going to sow bountifully. Verse, now skip down to verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having sufficiency in everything. In other words, we shouldn't worry about, well, how am I going to pay this bill if I give this much? Not to be reckless with our finances. But we ought not allow anxiety to creep in and to affect our giving and worship to the king because of some outside influence that seeks to take that away. I've heard people say, I can't, just can't afford the tithe. Brother and sister, the Christian can not afford not to. Give, offer an offering to the king with what he has given to us. Look at uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. God says he's going to provide for us, doesn't he? He says, that's not for you to worry. That's not for you up to worry about. I'm going to provide for my children because I'm a good daddy. I'm a good daddy. You're going to have everything you need if you're obedient to me. 
My grace is sufficient for you. Even in your needs, you're going to have what you need. I'm going to fulfill them all. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, we know this text. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. The Bible says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And, and the Bible says, God's tell, telling this. It's not the prophet, it's God himself. He says, bring the tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and put me to the test now in this, says the Lord. He goes on to say, if I do not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. God says, don't believe me. Test me. Give bountifully. Give sacrificially to me. You don't believe I can do it? Watch what I will do. Now, this is not a promise of prosperity gospel engagement. Bible never teaches if you just give more, you're just going to have all this money and stuff to spend on yourself. No, but it does, it does promote this. That if you give and worship to the Lord, you give and worship to God, and you're not legalistic with it, and you're giving bountifully, sacrificially, and worship to the King, whatever that number is that the Lord would lay on your heart to give, God says, you're going to be provided for, my cup runneth over. Then you're going to be able to give more for the glory of his name. God says here that he's going to provide for you. He's going to sustain you. And giving encourages us to embrace those providential promises of Almighty God. When we give above and beyond, we honor the Old Testament. We honor God. We acknowledge or promote good deeds. We embrace godly provision in the doctrine of God's providence in our lives. But number five, and last but certainly not least, when we give sacrificially, bountifully, cheerfully, without compulsion, number five, our faith is strengthened. Our faith is strengthened. Our faith is strengthened and our testimony becomes Rock solid. Harder than stone. Because though we're giving maybe the little that we have, God's promises are sure and true. And because we reap what we sow, and we reap more than we sow it, so, and we reap later than we sow it, our faith is strengthened because we put God to the test and God is good and fulfilling that which he's promised. It's an act of faith. But it pays off. Our faith becomes a bedrock of providence and of peace. I know this truth because I've lived it. Where I didn't know where the next, how am I going to pay this bill this month? How am I going to get by? How am I going to afford this? But I'm going to continue to give, Lord. And I'm going to serve. And I'm going to sacrifice. I'm, my faith is weak. 
My faith is weary. Don't know what I'm going to do. And then all of a sudden, the check shows up in the mail. Anonymous source. Above and beyond what I need to pay the said bill. The meal comes and shows up. The provision is provided for. And you have no idea where it came from. God says, test me. My promises are true for you. And you step out on faith, like on the water, sticking, keeping your eyes on the prize. God says, you're not going to sink. Let's so be obedient to me. I'm going to take care of you. And you do that. Guess what happens? Your faith is strengthened harder than concrete. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. 13, verse 5 in Hebrews, it says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever abandon you. Regardless of inflation, regardless of the rising gas hikes, uh, gas hikes the price of drugs and, and bills, and even the stock market who plummeted over nearly 1,300 points this past week, people, many people are weary and worried. But may that not affect your giving to your Lord and your worship to the King. But rather, let that entice you. Whatever happens, happens. I'm giving anyway. I'm trusting in His providence. I'm trusting in His promises. I'm trusting He's going to provide for me. And watch what He does. In the craziest of and notice your faith being strengthened on levels maybe you never knew existed. Because he is good on his promises. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says, my God will supply all your needs. He's going to supply for you. He's going to take care of you. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. In Christ Jesus. And he owns everything. Newsflash. He's going to make sure you have what you need. When you need it. Because he said he would. And he cannot lie. Our giving. Will reflect our faith. Our giving and our offerings will reflect. Do we really believe. That God is who he says he is. Is he really going to provide for us? Is he really going to give us exactly what we need when we need it? Your giving is a reflection of your faith. And likewise, your giving will build your faith. According to his sovereign will. So. The giving and offering. I want to conclude with this. As we conclude this morning, maybe your giving, maybe your offering, um, the drive to do that, the desire to do that, the importance of doing that, the priority of doing that, 
Maybe you had never written a check for the offering you're giving in your entire life. Maybe because you've never had a desire to. Maybe because you've never wanted to. Maybe, maybe it goes beyond not being taught, but maybe uh, just because, yeah, it's my money. I'm going to do with it as I want. It's not anybody else's but mine. I earned it. Right? I don't think so. It's all his. It's all his. And maybe that desire is lacking in your life. It's a gift. Because your desire to worship is lacking. And your desire of worship is lacking because quite frankly, you have no one to truly worship because you don't know him. You don't know him. I wonder maybe the reason why some in the church watching at home, even Church Universal, don't see the priority in giving just a portion of which has been given to us by the Lord. Maybe it's because we don't know the maker of matter to begin with. Let me ask you this morning as we conclude. Do you know Jesus today? Who do you worship? Who are you worshiping? What's your purpose for being here in a worship service? How do you spend your money? How we spend what is given to us reflects our faith. Where is your faith? Is your faith in Christ or something else? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning? I said in the Sunday morning in Sunday school this morning, you know, we need to be reminded of the gospel every single day because even those who know it forget about it. But more importantly, we need to be proclaiming the gospel every day because we we never know who might be next to us who may know the gospel but never know it in their hearts. Do you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior today? Because that will be that will change everything. It'll change your worship, it'll change your life, it'll change your reasoning, it'll change how you do all things in this life. It'll give you a reason to wake up every day and a reason to go to bed at night, cheerful, joyful, give you a purpose that's going to last for eternity. Jesus came and died in your place, paying the sin penalty that you deserve, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, promises to come back for you. Paying a debt you could never pay. Dying a debt that you deserved. So that one day you could live forever in heaven. But also in this day you can worship him in all that you are. In all that you have. Do you know Christ as Lord and Savior of your life? If you don't this morning, I pray that you would call on his name in repentance and faith. And turn to him as Lord and Savior of your life. Maybe you're here today and you are a Christian. But you don't give as you ought. Or for whatever reason, you know you could give more. But for some reason, you've withheld it. The conviction is there, but you've ignored it. The struggle is there, the anxiety comes, and you second guess even the giving and offering that you give. For good deeds to be proclaimed, mainly the gospel, to be proclaimed from this place and beyond. Maybe you're here this morning and conviction is on your heart. That there's an excess that you could be giving, but for whatever reason, you're not. 
And maybe the Lord has told you on your heart, maybe the question of what else could I give to worship in his name? I think that's a question that we are all good to ask every single day of our lives. What more can we do in our lives, in our finances, in our life, how we spend our time, everything? What more can we do, oh God, to be a disciplined disciple for you, in particular this morning, our finances? May we be a church that is filled with brothers and sisters. Children of God who give bountifully. May we be a church that gives cheerfully. May we be a church that gives without compulsion, no, but may we be a church that gives in an, in, in a, from a heart of worship to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, above and beyond, trusting his provision that our faith may be strengthened. And may we do this for good deeds, for his glory, and for our joy. Would you pray with me? Let's pray together.